welcome to the Scam Economy with your host, Matt Bender. It is an all-ape episode of the show as we dive into the barrel of monkeys known as the Bored Ape Yacht Club. This isn't the first time we've talked about the Bored Apes on this show, but two journalists at Fast Company just recently got to sit down with the Bored Ape Yacht Club parent company, Yuga Labs, and they're giving Scam Economy an inside scoop about everybody's favorite or least favorite NFT project. This is the longest episode of Scam Economy thus far, so I'm not going to go too long here in the intro. But if you like the episode or like the show as a whole and want to hear or see more of this type of content, please support the show at patreon.com slash Matt Binder. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Matt Binder. Follow the Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash Matt Binder. Follow me on Twitter at Matt Binder. Follow the show on Twitter at Scam Economy. And go to scameconomy.com for all the links to the podcast version of the show. And be sure to leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now it's time to go behind the banana peel and take a look into the Board Ape Yacht Club and Yuga Labs. And joining me now to discuss all of this, uh, fresh off the publication of their feature in Fast Company, the 800-pound gorilla of crypto, the Board Ape Yacht Club tell-all is associate editor at Fast Company, Yasmin Gagne, and reporter at Fast Company, Connie Lin. Yaz, Connie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Matt. Yeah, thank you. So this this piece is super interesting because, well, first of all, there is a lot in this, you know, this feature. Um, and there are things that I was reading through that I thought, oh, I, I'm glad this is now, you know, the timeline has now been confirmed uh, by someone officially within Board API Club and their parent company, Yuga Labs. And then there's a lot of things that you sort of have to read between the lines that wasn't included in the piece, but that also speaks volumes. And I, I think you guys will be able to to tell me, you know, even fill in some of those gaps because I'm sure there's some stuff that, that you guys heard from them that, that didn't make it into the piece. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the piece is certainly the longest I think either of us have written. It's 6,000 words long. And and even at that That's length, the there was a lot on the cutting room floor. This is probably one of the uh, only times, I mean, I know they've probably, uh, you know, given uh, interviews with some other outlets, but this is probably the, the deepest dive I've seen with the Board Ape Yacht Club uh, founders. So how, how did this come about? So Connie, do you want to take this? Sure, I can uh, field this one. Um, so I think there were kind of two parts to it, right? The first was like, Yuga just kind of being willing to come forward and sort of tell their story and, you know, come out of the shadows because they had been so anonymous for such a long time. Um, but, you know, in February, they were doxxed against their will by BuzzFeed. 
And so I think that was kind of good motivation for them to start talking to publications and sort of try to take control of the narrative again. Um, because around that time, you know, in the sort of the first half of the year, um, Yuga was kind of growing a lot, right? Like in March, it sort of re it received that $4 billion valuation from a funding round led by A16Z. And, you know, like when you get that big, I think like the controversies sort of start to come around. Um, so I think the public sentiment had been very, like it was at that inflection point where it had like been going up and up and now it was, it was starting to come down. Um, and, you know, that was due to like a number of things like, you know, Yuga's growth itself was kind of raising a lot of eyebrows, like the, you know, when they acquired two of the biggest NFT collections, CryptoPunks and Mebits from Larva Labs, you know, that sort of like people started to ask, you know, well, is this looking a lot like an NFT conglomerate, you know, or, um, you know, when they announced other side, they had this land sale that ended up being this huge disaster. Um, yeah. And also, I think like around that time, their assets had been sort of spiking just ahead of a lot of these big announcements. And so then people were starting to question, like, are there leaks coming out of the company? Um, so that's kind of like a long winded way of saying that, like, they were getting a lot of negative attention at the time. And so I think they really wanted to try to get back and take back the narrative. Um, and so they hired a PR firm and this PR firm knew our editor, David. And so they reached out to him and there was actually kind of, there were sort of a series of conversations that had to happen before, you know, they settled on, um, I think at the time they were sort of shopping around for a publication that was going to be the best outlet to tell their story. Um, and so they met, you know, first with our editor, David, and then we met with them a second time and I joined. So it was, you know, I had lunch with David and Nicole, the CEO, and then their whole PR team. And then Yaz got involved. And yes. then we, <laughs> and then, and then, you know, in, we started work on this in early July. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, so what I'm that's some to... time ago. Yes. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. It takes a while. What I what I would add to that is, you know, fundamentally, and, and this is what the story is about, is 18 months ago this company didn't even exist. Now it's worth four billion dollars. And I think they, they just had to become a professional organization, you know, and like every other billion dollar company, they had to start talking to press, you know, like even even Jeff Bezos has to do an interview once in a while or make a statement. <laughs> like, um, so right. this is sort of like, I, I think them talking to press is like just part of their journey into becoming more established. I, I would also to go into the Ryder Rips stuff. Um, so Ryder Rips is a conceptual artist and he found and others observed too that there was some kind of iconography in BAYC that he thought was um, sort of related to German imperialism. And that narrative really actually started to take hold. There's a video, look, to be honest, Connie and I did a lot of report, you know, did our due diligence on it. Um, we personally didn't totally buy it. I think there's a lot of things that are a little that there's a lot of things that raise eyebrows in the storyboard apes. Like, I don't think we wrote 
a puff piece, but this was not the one that we felt like we had to concentrate on. I was saying, you know, if you've ever seen that, the horror movie, the number 23 starring Jim Carrey and mm-hmm. like all of that movie is him like doing math. You know what I mean? He's like, <laughs> he's like, you're born on the, the 14th of September, like nine plus 14, that's 23. Like he's the number everywhere. And there's a, there's a, there's a YouTube video that Ryder Rips made. And we, we both of us like watched a lot of it and it's like it's a lot of math and I think that when you when you want to find something that badly you can that's not not to say you know the ADL looked into it they weren't like this is totally bad they did say there was there was some imagery that was like a little not great right um but that's not what we wanted to focus on in the piece because we really wanted to treat this as a business you know we really wanted to look at it as as a business. We really wanted to ask, like, what are these NFTs? Should they be considered securities? And and that's kind of how we went about reporting. Right, right. No, we'll get into the writer rip stuff in a little bit. Um, you know, uh, the, we we spoke about a lot of things that maybe some listeners, viewers of the show, are probably completely unaware of. So we'll we'll, we'll rewind back at the very beginning in just one second. The the one thing I do want to talk about while we're here. Is, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, your reporting was on, uh, you know, a business looking at Yuga Labs as this business because they are now a multi, they're valued at multi billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, they have revenue in the hundreds of millions of dollars from selling these NFTs and then the sales, the, the you know, the aftermarket sales of the NFTs. Um, so, to me, what I want to talk about right here, and you know, you mentioned it just seconds ago, was the reaction to, on their end, their reaction to being doxxed. And to me, it's one of the, it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Like I really think they did themselves. Like if everything they're doing is actually really on the up and up, and they are really just these. You know, started with these, you know, and you'll get more detailed into it. But if it's really just these two, you know, you know, uh, uh, everyday friends who brought in some other friends together with their and, and told them their idea. And then they just organically sold these NFTs that all of a sudden just sold out and became this huge, you know, uh, sort of like street art, uh, pop cultural thing. Um, Gee, Matt, it sounds like you're kind of skeptical. Yeah, I'm a little bit skeptical and with good reason, which we'll get into more detailed. But again, like I want to stick to their reaction to being doxxed. If everything was just on the up and up, to me, their reaction to being doxxed makes zero sense. They uh, And I'll never forget the video and I'll, I'll play it here for, for listeners and viewers, you know, right after I, I give it some context. This is their CEO, Nicole Munitz. She did this like interview with some like uh, crypto publication, uh, a video interview about them being doxxed when it first happened. And her delivery, her tone of voice, mm-hmm. the, the way she's portraying what just happened does not at all fit with just a bunch of people running this business being, you know, their, their real names being put out there. Um, again, BuzzFeed found these names, their legal names, in 
public legal documents that really anyone could have found. These weren't like hidden. They didn't do any, you know, you know, uh, uh, the BuzzFeed reporter, uh, Katie Nadopoulos, if I'm sorry, Katie, if I'm messing up your last name, but, you know, uh, kudos to her for thinking to do it. But she even says like, you know, there wasn't any little deep digging into like, she just literally thought to look into these public documents that anyone had access to and their names were right there in like the legal papers for the business Mm -hmm. um and 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 their ceo nicole munez in this video is literally like listen to it here you go being doxxed right having your identity um put out there how did the founders feel about that how did you feel about that we believe in freedom of the press we believe in journalistic integrity when I got the phone call saying that um, they were going to release their identities, I asked for time so that we could tell their families, so that we could make sure that they were safe. I was told I had 30 minutes. And folks in the community, when this happened, said, you have to be careful because there's safety issues. Can you explain why? In the crypto community, um, there are these things called crypto whales, right? It's um, people who have made a lot of money in crypto, um, and it's attracted some nefarious characters, um, and it has put people in severe jeopardy. Um, there are kidnappings, just very, very bad stuff happen. And there is a honestly a misconception that the founders of this company are crypto whales. Um, and releasing their identities and frankly only giving us 30 minutes um, was very, very dangerous. She's literally delivering uh, this 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 speech, this prepa- these prepared remarks, as if she's you know on on the the, the news uh, describing a terrorist attack that just happened. It does not fit the events she's describing. Yeah, yeah. I I you know I agree with that, and I actually like to me. What's the best way to put this? Like. That BuzzFeed reporter did a great job, right? I, you know, like she was doing her job and she did a good job. Um, I think that at the same time, I have some empathy for them in the sense that they, I think the company and the project took off so quickly. And I'm not saying they didn't want to make money. I'm not saying there wasn't some like plan there, but I can see how like um, all of a sudden becoming a public person is, is pretty scary. Um, and I can see how feeling not in control of something when you've been pretty in control of the project the whole time, uh, can, can feel bad. Um, I'm not saying that they reacted the right way. Like, I'm not saying that was the right reaction, but, um, but, but I get it, you know? Yeah. I I see what you're saying. I I don't have that same empathy for it because again, (laughs) We're talking about people who, who by this time have already made hundreds of millions of dollars. Like if they were really worried, I believe she said she was worried about like them being kidnapped as if, you know, we're, 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 they're, they're literally millionaires, billionaires, mm-hmm. 
who are public figures, uh, you know, again, these are these are guys in their 30s. There are people in their teens and their 20s who are thrust in this situation. Um, and then outside of so they have money to even, you know, take care of whatever issues they're worried about if they need yeah. to hire security driver. But then going even further, there are also plenty of people who go public or are, you know, their names are publicized because, you know, they unwillingly ended up doing something that turned them into public figures um, who mm-hmm. don't even have the money. And just, you know, and, and they don't act this way. It was just so bizarre. And as as people who are running this huge corporation that have millions of dollars in funding from, uh, you know, established venture capital firms who uh, are not selling a service or product. So basically the way they make money are from retail investors buying these NFTs in hopes of they too making money from reselling them or, you know, and holding on to them till they, you know, till they can resell them for the price they're holding out for. Um, they have a right to know exactly who yeah. they're investing with. They have a right to know, you know, do these people have a racist background like writer rips alleges Mm -hmm. uh you know they have a right to know if these guys are literal criminals um they they, you know it's just it's just part of yeah the whole situation like they they, this was gonna happen yeah Yeah, i totally get it um i just have some empathy for for people who were who were private until recently and i say this probably because i i don't know like i i became a writer so that i could just (laughs) I got to ask you because by the publicity. Yeah. What was that? I'm sorry. They seemed very spooked by the publicity. I think they just, I think it was a shock. One funny funny moment though was like, we were in our first interview with them. We were like, uh, this is like off the record. We were like, where do you guys live? And um, they were like, this is off the record. This is so off the record. And they told us what coast they lived on. We were like, the only time they went off the record was to tell us which half of the, of the, yeah. <laughs> like what? Yeah. Can, can, I, can I ask you this? I know, I know you, you guys, you know, get it in terms of my argument. Totally. Did, did, did that come up with them though? Like, do they get why they had to be doxxed or are they still like, pissed that it happened and thought they could continue to run this business without having to ever go public with their real names. It's funny. I feel like they're pissed that it happened, but they also recognize that they need a publicity strategy now. You know what I mean? Like, but that's not what I'm asking. That's not what I'm asking. Did they think, did did they realize maybe they, maybe you didn't get this out of them, but did they realize that this was a necessity? Like I get, they now know. I I don't think they did. And I, mean, I think that I, I got the impression that they had some personal incidents. Like, you know, one of them was like, this guy shut up my house. And I was like, that's scary, right? That, that's just scary for anyone. So I do, I, you know, I, I think that's where that reaction came from, if that makes sense. Like, it was a purely emotional, like, I don't feel good about this. And I don't think they they thought even, like, as far as the business, they were just like, I really hate this. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I think I this mean, is if... also something that's very new, You know, like we haven't really seen this before because NFT culture is just it's 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 like a very niche sort of subculture right now where like it's sort of founded on having this online alter ego, right? Like you have like your 
NFT character profile picture that's like your hexagon on on Twitter and you have like anonymous discord chats. And so you sort of create this online persona and nobody has to know who you are. That's like a big part of what the appeal mm -hmm. of NFTs is right now and the social appeal, you know, online. So I think that they were still very much living in, in that world. And I mean, it, it, they were familiar, you know, like they were, they were gamers growing up, right? Mm -hmm. Like they played, you know, Star Wars and Warcraft and Starcraft. And, and all of that and and so I think they were like very familiar with this idea of just like having an online persona that might have been separate from who you were in real life um and like having those two converge wasn't really something that they were used to but you know suddenly it was sort of like they were like you know thrown into into this situation but I think it's something that we're going to just start to see more of because we haven't seen a really big nft company yet right so like yeah. Yes, when there's a $4 billion company, we feel like we need to know who is running that, you know? But that and hasn't happened before. So I think neither of us are disagreeing with you, Matt. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> neither of us are like, no, their identities should just. No, just I, I get that. Both no. Have some empathy for like where they were coming from. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I still am so like, the thing to me is like, it's it sounds like they are incredibly they incredibly uh, naive if they thought that um, they could you know it was just going to be like using their video game screen names or whatever and get through life doing that. But I also, mean, one, of them, one of them is named after the villain from the Smurfs. Argamel, right? Yeah, right. We'll, we'll get yeah. into yeah, we'll, we'll do that in a second. But but also like it also keeps hitting like striking me like these are grown men in their thirties. Like, what are they like? I, and I know, get what you're saying. Like, this is actually a broader problem within the, the crypto and NFT space where they are, they value their anonymity. Uh, and I mean, I get it if you're just a guy buying tokens or investing in NFTs. Like, okay, I mean, sure, you could be anonymous. But when people are then entrusting their money into your product yeah. or you know your project or whatever then that's a very different thing and i think this idea of like they could run this as if they all just go by their their uh fortnite screen names is probably why this space is so uh overrun with scams and hackers you know you think about even like the, the foundations of crypto and it's like we still don't know understand i mean okay Kai is the real crypto reporter here. But am I crazy in saying we don't know the guy who started Bitcoin? You know what I mean? Like right. like it, it's like it's like just just everything about this space is like sort of like weird when it comes to that stuff. Right. Yeah, and it's not it's not a good thing. Like No. No. Um, no. It's like like when it comes to when it comes to like I am all for people being able to have their privacy obviously on a number of issues. But mm -hmm. I, and this is just an opinion here from me, but when it comes to uh, financial uh, information, especially when we're talking about mega corporations and, and companies and, and, you know, very powerful people, then I'm sorry, they have no right to hide who they are, where they're spending their money, what their money is going to, because that's how you get a country that, you know, you got very powerful people basically be able to run so many things with lobbyists yeah. and yeah. Um, dark money going to super PACs. I mean, 
there's a lot of money in crypto. Uh, it's 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 uh, going to be something to watch. Uh, where do these people spend their money and, and how they do it? And they should not have an anonymity to be able to control, uh, you know, policy in this country. Yeah, and if anything, I feel like this, the the doxing, you know, for better or worse, is 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 kind of going to be a precedent. I think for like, you know, the next big company, like, you know, even if it's within crypto, even if like anonymity is such a you know like a, a holy grail of the of the industry like you can't stay you know you can't stay hidden right like and i think that's just gonna be clear now right but it is so, a really strange dichotomy i'm sorry i cut no, you go off. ahead no please go ahead i think it is a really strange dichotomy because you know so much of web3 is built on being like open source you know and like that sort of radical like community aspect you know but like at the same time you're hiding who you're at the same time you know anonymity is such a important sort of tenet of of their philosophy so it's just it's, it's just kind of a weird economy to to think about right no it, absolutely and so let's now jump into this piece. Um, we, we just had a whole conversation that, I mean, obviously was about the piece, but let's jump into the details here. So let's, let's for people who don't know, I guess we should explain really quickly. Um, I have done it many times before, but never know if there's a new listener, the first episode um, for them. What is an NFT, Connie? What is an NFT? Well, it is. I'm so glad you asked Connie that and not me. <laughs> I, I had a feeling she'd be the better person to ask. Oh, man, I will, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, an NFT is a non-fungible token, and it's really kind of a way to track ownership of assets on the blockchain. Um, so a lot of like NFTs that you will see are JPEGs, right? Because in the past, like there was no real way to own a JPEG. Anybody could download that onto their computer. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. So I think that assigning the blockchain to that gave, gives you a way to sort of claim ownership and be the only owner of an asset. So the blockchain is basically like a digital ledger that like just encodes like tons and tons of information, including who owns what, you know, across right. the world. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you own a JPEG, that will be encoded into the blockchain, which is like growing infinitely, right? Like that once, once it's encoded, it can never be removed. So like your ownership is like cemented into eternity. Um, and yeah, I think that's a big part of the appeal for a lot of people is the idea that like, one, you can claim ownership, two, like that's, that can't be erased three that's a way for you to start to monetize these assets right because if you own a jpeg and like you can prove your ownership of it you can also charge for you can charge for loaning it out or doing whatever you want with it or selling it or um all of that i wonder if that makes sense no, it. it absolutely does and it you know i'm glad you answered it because i always was wondering you know i really want to be the guy who owns the troll face jpeg from back in the <laughs> i don't want anyone else to use it i've been, been begging yeah. away but we should also add that like to, to, to make it completely sort of uh technically clear too it's it's just a receipt like that's really what like because yeah. because we can yeah. always you know I can buy a NFT of that troll face I just mentioned. I'm, you know, really putting an age on myself here of when, <laughs> when I, uh, that's the height of memes for me. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, 
anyone could still copy the JPEG. It's still be, you know, all these things are still used. You see people using, uh, you know, Bored Ape avatars to mock Bored Ape Yacht Club people because they're able, yeah. they're able to just copy the, you know, copy the image still because it's still just a JPEG. But I thought about doing that as like a dumb trolley thing when this right. <laughs> right that would be pretty good you should do that put it up tonight right but yeah but these nft holders literally just have like the proof that they paid this amount on the blockchain for the token connected to that jpeg and i mean wow <laughs> that's all that's all i have to say there wow um, yeah, like damn i wish i had that kind of money <laughs> yeah I mean, just throw that down the toilet. Uh, yeah. But uh, let's let's now get into the beginnings of the Board Ape Yacht Club. Can you tell us how this whole thing started? Connie, do you want to go for it? Sure, I will. <laughs> I will do my best. Um, so the story that Gordon and Garga tell which you know you've probably seen because it's been online it's sort of their origin story um is that it was almost like a fever dream from from gordon um one night and he he had kind of like he's in his mid-30s now but he had never really had a real job um mm -hmm. he had this sort of chronic illness that kept him in bed for most of his 20s um and so he was just kind of you know like floating around and like trading cryptocurrencies and losing a bunch of money in 2018 and just kind of trying to figure out what was next. Um, Wait, what? I, I just, it just, it just struck me. Where did he have, like, I, I'm totally, it's, you know, that's very, uh, I'm glad he's doing better now. Cause that's sad that, you know, he, he was sick yeah. and couldn't work. Where did this money to invest in crypto back in? When, when was he investing in crypto? Like very early on. I think for, but in 2017, it's still, we're still talking about crypto, you know, Bitcoin's trading at 16, 17K at this no, point. No, I mean, I think he was investing earlier. It's more that, like, when crypto crashed, he, like, lost a bunch of money. Okay. You know what I mean? But, but where, so, did, did he get into how he got into crypto and, why, you know, where, where his funding of crypto was coming from? Because, I mean, if I didn't have a job um, and needed to pay for food, rent, uh, yeah. et cetera... Um, I gotta say, I don't totally know where the funding came from, but I, I think he got into crypto just like from being part of weird corners of the internet. You know what I mean? I don't think right. there was like some like crazy thing that happened. I think he was just like really online on like Reddits that I don't go on. Right. right. You know what I mean? Right. I'm just sort of wondering, yeah. maybe he was a, a, I'm, this is just, you know, me thinking, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just, who knows where he got this money from, but you know, I was sort of asking if it's his parents were somebody's, maybe a trust fund That's kid or something. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to speculate on it. Yeah, and no, I'm just, just like, I'm also just like, you know what? You were really sick. That's awful. <laughs> right? No, of course. Right. <laughs> right. So, so go yeah. ahead. Sorry, that just, just just caught me, and I needed to ask. Go yeah. ahead. No, no worries. Um. So yeah. So this is this is him in his twenties. You know, just trying to figure things out. And then I guess when the when the NFT boom started happening, I think in like early 2021 you know, he was kind of like, oh, you know, maybe there's something there. And so I guess he just kind of like stayed up one night and just dreamt up this whole narrative of like these NFT bored apes, which are just like congregating in some like apocalyptic bathroom, you know, scrawling on this stall wall because they're like, and they're rich from like investing in crypto. And now they're 
afford, like, because they have nothing mm-hmm. to do with the money. Um, and so he sort of came up with this whole narrative and then, you know, scribbled it all down. And then his friend Garga, who was an editor, who was working at a publishing company at the time, um, kind of came in and, and helped refine that. Um, and so that was, that's sort of the story that they tell that, you know, originated this whole, like, now $4 billion enterprise. Um, so it like, it's, it's the Cinderella storytelling of it. Um, but you know, like, obviously as Yaz and I were reporting, you know, it became clear to us that it didn't just magically happen. Right. Like, yeah, I think like the key, the key thing that I think about as it was founded is, um, the company's current CEO, Nicole Muniz was a, um, childhood friend of Gordon's. And as he and Garga had been exploring ideas around NFTs, they originally had this concept of like doing some like Miro, the artist inspired um, NFTs. They were batting these ideas around to her. She was a digital strategist. She had her own firm. And uh, she was like basically talking to them about ideas that would be commercially viable. Like what aesthetic would actually sell? Um, And, you know, she at the time was like, listen, like, when you give people a whiteboard, because the idea was that, that like anyone who bought an NFT would have access to this whiteboard to draw on, the first thing they draw is a dick. So let's like try and get, make some art that sort of appeals to that type of trolley aesthetic. And I think like this they've said in a bunch of interviews, but I, I think what I took from that was like, they were thinking about making money from the beginning. I don't think they thought this was going to grow into a $4 billion company, but this wasn't just like, a cute art project that they like hadn't thought about at all that they just put out there. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Right. There was yeah. some uh, preparation for it and it took them a, a little bit to get to where they were. They didn't just. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and I think oh, also what struck me. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so I think what sort of struck me is that, you know, they mentioned that the idea for the mutant ape yacht club, which is basically like, the follow-up to Board Ape Yacht Club, the expansion of the universe, and it became their second NFT collection. Um, they started working on that literally the day after BAYC sold out. So like the mm-hmm. day after the launch of Board Ape Yacht Club, they were already working on the expansion. So that, you know, there was hustle, right? Like they were, yeah. they were building something, you know, they brought in an executor to help them like make, build this thing, make money. Um, and so, it, you know, I, I feel like the, it's where it is today is very much like a product of a lot of smart business decisions. Yeah. Right. So let's actually, uh, you, you bring up a point. You, you jumped to the Mutant Ape Yacht Club, um, which was interesting to me because in the, the piece, it seems like they didn't want to talk so much about that launch of the Board Ape Yacht Club beyond like, oh, they all sold out. Like, I know there was... A, a week of pre-sales, and then mm-hmm. it officially launched on May 1st, and then these 10,000 uh, Board Ape Yacht Club NFTs sold out with by, by the end of May 1st. Um, did they get into at all how that happened, how they were able to uh, sell 10,000 uh, NFTs by uh, having no sort of... Uh, background in the space. They weren't influencers previously. They were just two guys who ran this idea past their digital marketer friend. And then they just uh, put this out there. Well, 
look, I think I think their party line, and obviously, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions around um, Board Ape Yacht Club and Yuga Labs dealings in general that kind of circle around this issue of like, was there a plan, or were there people who stood to benefit? You know that that like were take you know during sales. Um, so so what they say is that you know the the board apes were available to be purchased for a week, and they really didn't take off for most of that week. And then on the last day, because actually just to back up, I just want to sort of briefly explain how a lot of NFT projects work, which is that there's a limited number of NFTs that are going to be released. That's announced. And people can purchase them, but when they purchase them for six days of that week, they're actually unable to see them. So they're unable to like see what their NFT looks like, their piece of art. Um, and then on the seventh day, or on the you know towards the end of the week, that artwork gets revealed. So with the board apes, what ended up happening, you know, by their accounts, is that no one was interested in the project for like the first like five days, and then. Um, as soon as people started seeing the artwork, seeing the apes in their weird colors and their with their weird accessories, um, they were really into the apes aesthetic and they sold out immediately. So that's their claim. Um, they basically say that, and, and their argument is that the apes had an aesthetic appeal because like people could really like recognize themselves in their apes and um, you know really found some kind of digital identity that way. Um, I think it's possible. Um, you know, I, th I think what I, I think the thing that has raised questions for some people is that, you know, some people bought like a shit ton of apes, <laughs> you know, like right. normally you buy like one or two. Um, and, and I think that that that's the sort of a, that kind of accusation, that kind of like not accusation, but those questions of like who knew what was coming beforehand is something that has dogged the company for a long time. So like another instance later on is um, the company acquired um, CryptoPunks, which was another really popular NFT chain. And um, they had been working with this guy from Christie's, the auction house named Noah Davis. Um, he'd helped sell a couple CryptoPunks and he was later brought on as brand manager of CryptoPunks working at Yuga Labs. But the day before he was brought on a band as brand manager, like somehow a few people knew about it on the Board Ape Discord, and the price of CryptoPunks shot up. I think it's and a few that hours to clarify. Yeah, a few just hours, a few hours. Sorry, a few hours. <laughs> but all this to say, I think you know, I th I think stuff like that is I think what makes people mistrustful or suspicious of Yuga Labs. And honestly, in our reporting, we couldn't figure it out, you know? Um, but 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 I think like we we tried to just show like, hey, like some people have questions, you know, at the very least, like that's part of, that's part of like, um, you know, when I said we were treating this, we were really trying to treat Yuga Labs as a business and report on it as a business. Like that's kind of where we were coming from, which is like, if we think of these as securities, like, is there some kind of insider trading going on? Like, I don't know. We couldn't prove it. We don't know. But like uh, what we can say based on our reporting, based on talking to people is like a lot of people have questions about that aspect of the story. Right. 
Right. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people don't know that fact that, um, you know, on that day that Board Ape Yacht Club sold out, um, I believe there were 10 wallets that at the end of that day held something like over 30% of the 10,000 Board Ape Yacht Club NFTs. I mean, again, they weren't trading anywhere near like the $100,000 that just one fetches for now. But we're still talking about, I think it was around like $250 when you, uh, yeah. you know, in, in US dollars, you know, you have to use the, the you know, you would buy a board ape with Ethereum, uh, Ether on the Ethereum blockchain, uh, the Ethereum network. But um, I mean, that's still like 250 US dollars per ape. So we're yeah. talking I mean, still a lot of money. Like people, rich people spend their money on, you know, like Elon Musk literally during this recording officially bought Twitter. You know what I mean? I'm like, no one thought that was smart. Um, wow. It's, so, Twitter, so Twitter's a proven, and I know what you're saying, but Twitter's like, like a, Twitter's a, a, yeah. I know. This was a, these were monkey JPEGs. <laughs> yeah. This is not a great example. I guess all I'm saying is like, um, yeah, on one level, you could look at it and be like, oh, did they know something about this? And, and were they trying to make the value go up or did they know the value was going to go up? But on the other hand, you could just be like, maybe there's just like a rich person who loves this stuff. You know? I think I, I think that's sort of the thing at every turn of the story. You're like, it could be this or it could be this. And like you can start to feel a little crazy, <laughs> you know, when you try and like parse it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I, I think there's something more there that uh, nobody's been able to really get yet. But I think it's interesting that they don't find um, literally that week or so to be that important to talk about in detail. Yeah. Like that's very bizarre. I would have been, you know, given every, the week that I went from a nobody to a somebody uh, like that. Yeah. yeah. That seems like We're something you detail. Um, I, I, you know, again, their uh, unwillingness to sort of uh, be more transparent makes me very suspicious. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, until we know, all we could do is uh, is speculate and wonder. But yeah, yeah let, let's let's talk about the, the people. You know, I, I know we've mentioned them uh, so far as Gordon Goner and Gargamel, the original two. And you know, if mm -hmm. that's the names they want to go by, that's fine. Um, but we should at least mention once. Uh, what their real names are. I mean, it's important, I think. And um, mm -hmm. uh, Gargamel is Greg Solano. And Gordon Goner is Wiley Arnau, who mm -hmm. I did not realize. Uh, I just thought he was Willie spelt with a Y, but we were talking prior to this. And you informed me that his name was actually Wiley, like Wiley Coyote. Like Wiley Coyote. There we go. All right. So I, 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 I learned new things about uh, Bored Apes uh, and, uh, you know, the uh, Yugo Labs, but I also learned new things about pronunciations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so the the other two guys uh who are part of this um mm -hmm. is uh Zeshan Ali who goes by No Sass. Yeah. And uh Kerem Adele who goes by Emperor Tomato Ketchup. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Very I think No Sass is a really funny name. No Sass is a, is, <laughs> is is pretty. Is of of the four I'll give it to No Sass being Yeah, good. exactly. Um but I, I do want to mention here that 
the four of these guys, mm-hmm. none of them are artists, correct? That's correct. Two but, of them, two of yeah. them, two of them are developers. The the, the mm-hmm. last two I named, No Sass and Tomato Ketchup, Emperor Tomato Ketchup, and uh, Gordon Goner is the guy who was sick for a while, so he didn't really. This was his first real thing. And then mm-hmm. Gargamel had like what, like a uh, uh, marketing jobs with like startups or something. No, Garga was actually has an MFA in poetry from UVA. Oh, okay. uh, he like specialized in American poetry, and then he became an editor um, at like a, for like a small press that did a lot of books on like stuff All like right. gaming. Right. Yeah. I was thinking of I was thinking of the CEO. Right, we'll get to we'll get to the CEO in a second. Yeah, um, we'll get back to her. Yeah, uh, but. See, like, this is the thing, like, to me, like, that, that really sort of bothers me about the NFT space and the Board API Club being, like, the, the flag bearer. Um, mm-hmm. We are sold that the idea behind NFTs is great because it is a way for artists to make money. Mm-hmm. They can mint uh, their art, whatever medium they partake in, whether it's you know digital art, fine arts, paintings, music, film, and they could mint it on the blockchain and sell the NFTs for that. And then on top of that, the extra benefit too is that because this is on the blockchain, every time these pieces, you know, the NFTs, get sold on the aftermarket. Mm-hmm. A percentage of that aftermarket sale also goes to the original artist of that piece as mm-hmm. royalty. And mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if you're just getting into this and you are an artist and you don't know all the details, this this sounds great. You know, artists struggle to make money in, in modern day. It's yeah. a hard thing to do. And so this seems like a, a great idea. But then you look at who the biggest project in the NFT space is, the one that uh, you know, the NFT advocates have decided to hold up on this pedestal and you find out that the four guys behind it who are making all this money hand over fist, they're not artists at all. They have nothing to do with the 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 digital art that you know, the creation of, the drawing of these bored apes. They they just were people who had this business idea and they're now the face of this thing that's supposed to be this big boon for artists. I would say two two things about that. One, which is like one of the original artists, Seneca, has has spoken at, at length about the fact that she feels like she was not compensated adequate, adequately or given credit, given how she created like the original line drawings of the apes, given how how much it's taken off. So I think that's definitely a conversation that... Um, that needs to be had that people are having, you know, it's out there. Um, I, I will say one thing though, which is um, they may not be visual artists, but Gordon, one of the founders did create the storyline for the apes and basically the vibe of the apes. Now, I don't even know if I totally buy this argument, but, but I can see, I can see like, that argument doesn't not make sense to me. That is their argument. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and I guess to sort of add on to what you're saying Matt yeah I agree I think you know it's one of the biggest pitches of NFTs is sort of as a way for artists to like own their work and 
you know, collect on their work, especially in something like the music industry that's been so notorious for like trying to like, you know, wring every drop out of out of their the artists. Um, and so, you know, the 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 illustrators for Bored Apes not being sort of compensated, you know, maybe appropriately or properly. It's definitely a huge issue. Um, and I think that like, it was, I think that there was a lot that happened during the launch of BAYC that just was not ideal. And I don't think that it was intentional necessarily. You know, I think that like, it was probably just a product of inexperience. Um, like, I think that there was, there was a lot that they were doing with this model that was new, right? Like one of the biggest mm-hmm. pitches is that they, were essentially giving away well how how they how they sort of framed it was that they were giving away the ip for like so like this character this illustration then became yours for you to do whatever you wanted with it to brand it monetize it license you you know it you it was licensed out to you Mm -hmm. um and that you know there wasn't really a roadmap for doing something like that so i think you know i think the issue of royalties sort of maybe they like didn't get quite right i mean there was also you know an issue with the smart contract language itself like when you looked at like whether or not like the ip was actually licensed out to people properly when people started parsing that language they saw that like well maybe you know you know i'm not a lawyer so (laughs) so i'm gonna you know try to try my best to, to you know get get this right but yeah i think it was like there was an issue with the copyright where it was like who owned the copyright that was still yuga which meant that they still owned the ip so even though the pitch was you own the ape and that's all like you you didn't actually own you were just lent the ape you know um and so i think that there was a lot that they didn't get right you know right off the bat and that was probably just a product of you know they weren't lawyers right like it wasn't and it, it didn't have to be like an intentional like try to I, have to say, I didn't get you know there's some stuff like ape coin which we'll get to that makes me suspicious but actually when it comes to the right stuff especially i don't necessarily think they're bad actors i think they literally are just not lawyers like i do i do i do actually think yeah just, i mean I could see for the early stuff for Board Ape Yacht Club. By yeah, the time, the Ape, early, the early stuff, by yeah, the, yeah, by the time Ape Coin comes out, uh, I, it's very uh, purposeful. I, I think we'll get to Ape Coin in a second, um, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, but so, so yeah, I mean, it is. You know, I, I get that they give the IP to the NFT holders, but my thing there is like. And this isn't just Board API Club. This is the NFT space in general, constantly creating these characters and, and sort of trying to like say like, isn't it amazing that you could do whatever you want if you know if one of it's if it's one of those similar projects that give the IP? Because it's like characters are nothing without like like in your piece you mention a lot where like they sort of view themselves as like a potential Disney, or mm-hmm. you know, and like Disney sells stories. The characters that come out of those stories are a product of the story. Like you can't have like these characters are nothing without the story. If they just threw, uh, you know, uh, whoever out there, the Disney princesses, even Mickey Mouse starting, they were cartoon episodes that took off and made him uh, an iconic character. It wasn't like they just plastered a, a, a mouse drawing everywhere and said, 
look how cool this is. And everyone's like, this is going to be an American icon. No, it was because the stories created the character that is the icon that is Mickey Mouse or whatever. And, you know, I'm not trying to talk up Disney. Uh, you know, they have their own problems, but that is why they're so successful. Um, and, like, this is backwards. Like, no one cares about these bored apes because there's no like story behind them. Like, there isn't. Like, I know you said... There is a story behind them. I don't I don't know that people care about it. Like, I, I'm actually not disagreeing <laughs> with you. Um, um, well, some people are starting to create stories around their specific apes. Like yeah. Like, Jenkins the valet, who you know, is just this ape that looks like a valet because he has a hat and a vest and and all that. And so, you know, there's a group um, called Tally Labs who is sort of like creating a whole narrative around Jenkins and his life and what he does. Um, and that same group is now like creating a novel. And, you know, now there's like a TV show coming out with, you know, for the actor Seth Green is making a TV show out of his ape called Fred, um, and, you know, obviously there was a whole, you know, situation with that, too, when Seth Green's ape got hacked and, and stolen. And then, you know, because of the 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 whole issue of IP belonging to whoever owns the NFT on the blockchain, then he ran into a show where he was like, oh, can I still make the show without my my NFT? And that and that was a whole separate issue. But anyway, people are starting to sort of find ways to, like, create that backstory for for their apes. One argument I can see, and I don't, you know, because I I initially came into the story really agreeing with you, and I, and I, I think I'm 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 not totally on the other side either. I I just haven't made up my mind on this. But but one thing I can say is that board apes, like people know about them. You know what I mean? It's like it's like some 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 marketing that's ready made for you. You know what I mean? Like if you want to found a company based on your board ape or the imagery, like it's already recognizable you know you don't need to do the work of like putting an entirely new image out there right the the haters are already built in too so (laughs) exactly (laughs) because a lot of people hate these board apes and uh i think i count myself as one of them uh um so let's let's talk about now um we we had mentioned her briefly And there's this line that really sticks out to me in your piece that, that again, one of those really telling things that I'm so glad it came out in this piece. And that's, you know, uh, the CEO of Yuga Labs, Nicole Munez, who you said, you know, they were child, her and one of the original founders were childhood friends and she was a digital marketer or a PR person or something. And she gave them a lot of advice. I actually want to give her credit here. She was a digital strategist. So she like launched a lot of projects like Google. Um, so I just want to say, she, I think she's like more than a marketer. Okay. Okay. But <laughs> yeah. there's this line there's here that line stick, here. sticks out to me in this piece. Yeah. And she's describing the consultancy firm that she's, you know, that she was running as a McKinsey but for startups and now i don't know if this is uh because she you know this is just how people within this like corporate pr bubble view mckinsey as just like this shining north star this beacon of light that we should all aspire to be but for people Mm -hmm. outside that world who who know are familiar with the name mckinsey um their first thoughts when hearing that name is probably not good. 
Um, McKinsey has uh, a history uh, riddled with scandals. They worked with Enron. Um, most recently, just off the top of my head, I know that last year they had to pay a um, $600 million settlement for their role in the opioid crisis. So, you know, if I'm looking to frame myself as just uh, someone who, um, you know, was trying to help my friends create this completely organic thing with no funny business behind it, uh, I probably wouldn't compare myself to McKinsey. <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say this is a counterpoint. Um, McKinsey, despite being like, like honestly very shady, um, did help sell a lot of opioids and did keep Enron going for a while. <laughs> yes, they, they're very good at their job. I mean, I think, I think they also, I remember they came up during the, um, the 2020 primaries when um, Pete Buttigieg, the, one of the Democratic candidates, was uh, being criticized for his role working for McKinsey. And mm-hmm. uh, the New York Times even called him out for this uh, in like one of those, you know, in- interview, those video interviews they did with all the candidates mm-hmm. uh, of like their involvement in a bread fixing scandal in Canada. Like, again, these are like really this, like McKinsey is a really, again, like you said, very good at their job, very good at their job doing very bad things, like really yeah. helping shape the yeah. the conversation around uh, really nasty stuff really horrible stuff and so you know just that really stuck out to me and i guess it sort of puts some things into perspective really who who's in this company and what they uh you know and what we're dealing with here i guess i mean it also i I think to me what i thought about was it also says a lot about the like quote-unquote punk rock image of this company you know what i mean it's like we're renegades also you know like anti-punk rock yeah for sure yeah Oh, that is one of the things that really uh, personally got at me, and and we could we, we should get into him now because we really, I mean, was there yeah. anything was there anything that I missed that we should mention about um, CEO Nicole Muniz? And we mentioned you know her video uh, when they got docs, which is still one of the most incredible things I've ever seen, and uh, you know her background and helping them early on, which um, I guess I, mean, I never I mean- really knew how you know integral she was from those early days i was assumed that being that this she was the ceo she came on much later when there was actually a company formed no like i think you know i, th- I think what we can say is like she's a really good strategist she's a very savvy marketer i think i think she may be underestimated like everyone else in that company how much they needed to get out ahead of their story you know i think for a long time she was so focused on product and i think now she almost sees her job as like changing some kind of perception around it because they've let a narrative grow for so long that it's like, you know what I mean? They sort of, I went to brunch the other day with a friend and I was telling her about the story and she was like, oh, you the, the like Nazi stuff? And I was like, yeah, that that narrative has really taken hold. You know, she's she doesn't work in the tech industry. She doesn't know anything about board names. Um, but, but I guess what I would say is I think she's good at strategy. She helped figure out, you know, new product drops. And I think she's been there since the beginning. She's been like figuring this out, helping figure this out since the beginning. Right. Right. 
Um, so let's let's move on from her at least at least for now. Maybe maybe she'll come up again. But this yeah. this I, we got to get into him because I think um, the if you're gonna take away one thing from uh, and I, again I urge everyone to go check out this story. We're gonna we're just touching the surface of about what's in here. Like these are just like uh, I would not even half of of what's in this report. Um, but to me, if there's one thing you do take out of this report, there's one takeaway. It is the involvement of Guy Osiri. Um, I, I, I for, for people who don't know, why don't uh, why don't you to explain who is Guy Osiri? So Guy Osiri is is a uh, hands down my favorite character in this piece. Um, he's he's uh, Guy is a guy who um, be, sort of made his name as a music manager initially. Um, so he became, you know, he was Madonna's manager. He's managed U2. He's managed Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, and and he's he sort of came up as this like wheeler and dealer in the music industry, like this guy who made things happen. Um, he also in his youth looked remarkably like Ali G, which I think is really funny. Um, but, you know, as as he became more successful, he also dipped into some other things. So he was a movie producer. He produced all the Twilight movies. Um, and he has also invested in a lot of companies with his investing partner, or like he's a partner in a firm called Sound Ventures. Ashton Kutcher is also a partner there. They've invested in things from Airbnb to WeWork. Um, so he, he is heavily involved in the startup scene. And he's been a big, it, it's funny because it's almost like a flywheel. Like he's been a, a fan and supporter, but also kind of the engine behind a lot of NFT related businesses and projects. So Sound Ventures and, uh, you know, by extension him, are investors in OpenSea, which is a platform through which a lot of board apes are sold on. They're investors in MoonPay, which is a concierge service to help you buy an NFT. And they're also investors in Yuga Labs. Um, and he has helped, I think, he is one of the big reasons why a lot of celebrities are so invested in, in the NFT space, in, you know, in Yuga Labs related NFTs. Right. Yeah. So, so I, you know, th this has been the, this was the most incredible thing. Like, um, I, I did not realize how early on, again, he was, what is his role in Yuga Labs? Now like, he's an official part of Yuga Labs. He's not just like some, yeah, he's a, he's a partner. And so this was announced though, in like late, like I want to say fall 2001, like maybe like October last year, but he actually, what was that? I think you said 2001. Did I say 2001? <laughs> wow. I, 2021. Man, if, mm -hmm. NFTs go much further back than I thought. No, no. <laughs> like, oh, no. We're going to mislead some listeners here. Right. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that correction. 2021. <laughs> and, uh, but from your piece, I, I sort of did not realize that he actually came on board uh, and got involved with them. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and was working with them literally just like, uh, uh, what was it, like two months after the original Board API Club uh, launched in, in May? Um, I mean, and from your piece, he, he seemed to have played, a, like you said, with the celebrities, but also played a big role in like a lot of the, the press they were receiving. Like what else did he help that early on before he officially came on board? 
I mean, he he made a Rolling Stone, a Board Ape Yacht Club Rolling Stone cover happen. Um, you know, like we asked him, or by his account, he did like, you know, I don't want to take away agency from editors and writers there. This isn't like a sort of weird publication battle. Um, but, you know, we asked him about it. We were like, how did that come about? And he was like, oh, I called them up and said we should do it. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think, I think that's kind of how it works. And I don't know if you remember, there was um, a fairly widely panned uh, Jimmy Fallon interview where Jimmy Fallon and Paris Hilton both talked about the board apes they owned and how they paid for them. And they paid for them through MoonPay, which is one of Gaia series companies. And I don't know if it's fair to say he engineered it, but I think it's fair to say that he's an investor in MoonPay. He's an investor in Yuga Labs and he knows Jimmy Fallon and Paris Hilton probably, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'll, I'll say it. He, he engineered yeah. it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Um, Gaia also had a huge part, I think, in making the first Ape Fest, which happened, mm-hmm. I think, in, like, late October, early November last year, um, which I think they had dreamt up initially as, like, oh, let's just get all the NFT, like, board ape holders together, and it was just going to be, like, the people from the Discord meeting in real life, and I don't know, standing around and eating crackers and talking, but then Gaia Siri came in, you know, and then he, like, brought in, like, Chris Rock and, like, the like the smiths and like all of these artists and like he did not he didn't bring in the smiths oh my gosh who was it i'm it's like another band that's a lot like the smiths he did call morrissey during our interview or he received a phone call from morrissey i'm conflating them um no but like Uh, there was a band that like oh what was the band Okay, whatever. Like there were a lot of there were a lot of like big name artists at. Um, I mean, he had to have played a role in just at the past MTV Awards where Eminem yeah. and Snoop Dogg transformed into their board ape Very. NFTs, which again was roundly uh, knocked and criticized online because people, average people, do not care about this. Um, yeah, it's like, again, like, I, I don't think people really understand, like, we're bored API club, all this money, multi billion dollar company, in total, when you count all the sales and everything, only 11,000 people or wallets, I should say, have ever held a bored ape yacht club NFT. If yeah. a social network had 11,000 users. They would not be able to raise whatever money, the, the hundreds of millions of dollars they raised to be valued at billions of dollars. Uh, it is but like I a bubble. May have, I guess the argument, it is like a bubble, but it's also like the argument they make is that only 11,000 people have them. So it's really exclusive. So therefore, it's desirable to a, a much higher number of people. And if, if like, even a small percentage of those 11,000 people develop successful products or projects around their apes, you know, that number of people who want a board ape will only grow. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like the the idea that by keeping it small and exclusive, you almost make it like something people are more interested in or find more mysterious or more cool. I don't know if that's true. Like, I don't know if that thesis is true, but I think that's where they're going with it. And I think yeah, that's probably think- what investors are excited about. I think the exclusivity is really a big part of the appeal for a lot of people. And, you know, when you talk about NFT culture, like having your 
like your profile picture on Twitter matters a lot, right? And having a board ape as your profile picture is like a big flex. And, you know, I think like, you know, getting into ape fest is like, a, yeah, it's like a big deal. Like it's very exclusive. Like you can only go if you own the NFT and like, you know, the QR code to get in, like it, it just like, it's like morphing. The pixels are all moving around so that you can't even screenshot it. They're just like taking a lot of steps to like prevent, you know, to keep the exclusivity very, very strong. Um, right. Yeah. And I, I guess, mean, you know, yeah. I, I guess it I is think just like a big exclusive. Cool, I'm but... sorry. What? Go ahead. I'm sorry. They're banking on it staying cool and they're banking on it staying exclusive. Like who knows, who knows what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Right. I guess we'll, I guess we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how, for, how far the, you know, that, uh, audience accepts this, uh, into whatever it is. Um, and we'll get into an audience that does not accept this in, in a second, but I, I wanted yeah. to mention, you, you mentioned that, that Paris Hilton, uh, Jimmy Fallon interview, on you know on the Tonight Show on NBC, which still I'm I'm, I'm shocked that hasn't uh, flagged any sort of investigation from like <laughs> the SEC or even like the FTC or whatever. Just very weird that mm -hmm. they were openly promoting board apes on this. Because uh, again, this isn't a product or a service. The, you know, if you buy something from a company that sells a product or service. The transaction ends right there. You pay them money; they're happy. You get the product or service; you're happy. End of end of the end of the deal. End of the transaction. But with these, these are like you mentioned earlier, securities. Um, yeah. These are highly volatile investments. Um, they are mm -hmm. speculative assets, and people are putting a lot of money, a lot of their money into this. And there are rules and regulations around those things. And I mean, Kim Kardashian was just hit with a like a multi-million dollar fine from the SEC for promoting um, a shady token, an unregistered security, uh, without proper, mm -hmm. um, you know, without Ethereum proper Max. disclosure. Yeah. What was it called again? Ethereum Max, right? Ethereum Max. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really it, there's a, a failing on the regulators here too for not putting a stop or or creating better rules around this stuff but um speaking of that paris hilton and jimmy fallon to get back on track one thing that really struck me uh, again that sort of i guess speaks into either guy osieri's involvement or ceo nicole munez's involvement with her background or maybe the both of them come together to combine into some like i don't know uh super saiyan nft promoter but um early in your piece when you ask mm -hmm. Um, Gordon Goner, you know, why mm -hmm. are people buying these board apes? Like, what do you think is the, the selling point for them? Like, why, why is this the project that took off? And he says something to the effect of, oh, people were just able to find apes that spoke to their personality. And as I'm reading yeah. that, I, I had a deja vu because I've watched this clip I, probably more times than anyone else. I might, I could probably reach out to Guinness and get in the world record book there because this, this clip angers me so much. I've played it many times before. Um, but, yeah. I mean, I'm watching, I went back to watching that clip and it's literally the same thing. Jimmy Fallon and Paris Hilton say, I mean, not perfectly verbatim, but it's like the same uh, marketing mumbo jumbo where they're like, oh, you know, I was looking at all the apes and I found one that spoke to me, fit me and who I am. And it's like, 
nobody thinks this way about these things. I'm sorry. This is like the, the, the people who are spending this money on these are just looking for like the rare one that they think is going to, you know, they'll be able to flip for more money. Like that's the real reason people are buying these things. Like no one is buying them for this reason. And it sounded a lot like me to me, like a marketing marketing lingo that like was like thought up and they passed it around to all the celebrities who they procured a board ape for and they were like this is what you say when you're asked oh why this board ape i mean we don't we don't know right you know like all we can say is like they're similar like you did you know i i think what you pointed out feels right is 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 a good observation um but yeah yeah, I mean, I think that's it's stuff like that that I think makes people feel suspicious about this company. Right. And so, uh, you know, we were talking about like, you know, all the different, uh, you know, you were mentioning, yeah, is all the different um, cookie jars that um, uh, Guy Ossieri had his hands in. And it's almost like, you know, I remember uh, early in uh, on, I think it was like earlier this year, I saw uh, Max Reed, a, a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a newsletter, and uh, he used to write for Gawker back when, you know, before Gawker was shut down. Yeah. yeah, it's a good newsletter, too. And he, early on, had this great, like, chart that showed all the different connections between various celebrities and mm-hmm. different, you know, um, NFT projects and NFT promoters and NFT businesses to show, you know, how connected they all are. And, you know, when I look at how you laid out in your piece all the different connections Guy Ossieri has to all of this. It's like, and and there's this line in here again. I think this is like everything about him is, is everyone needs to read this piece to just even just read the Ossieri stuff. There's this line in there where you do ask him about, you know, you're on every side of this transaction. Um, And then the promotion of, the you know the the apes involved in those transactions mm-hmm. um and you asked whether that conflict was ethical and you write that he's bewildered he says he's just trying to help people it's in his nature and i mean i i, I probably stopped when reading at that point and i i laughed because <laughs> it's 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 bullshit it's bullshit who is he helping he's not helping anybody he's helping celebrities buy all the nft projects that he just so happens to be invested in i mean Mm -hmm. why so then those celebrities can hype those nft projects to their fans and followers and then his nft projects make even more money and like to really drive home let's let's go through this all so so you mentioned that guy ocieri is involved in sound ventures right that's his uh like his startup investment his vc firm Mm -hmm. and so he's got that going uh, and then he's got investment in different startups. One of such, like you mentioned, OpenSea. All these Bored Apes are sold mm-hmm. on OpenSea. He works for Yuga Labs, the parent company of Bored Ape uh, Yacht Club. So he's dip, double dipping there. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, don't forget, when they sell on OpenSea, money gets kicked back to Yuga Labs as well. On top of that, mm-hmm. he's invested in MoonPay, which is a concierge service to help acquire these NFTs for celebrities because, again, this whole process is so stupidly overcomplicated that celebrities and regular people 
can't do it themselves in some cases. So he's getting extra money there by creating a paid service called MoonPay where it buys these NFTs for celebrities. So there's another kickback for him. And again, he's buying mm-hmm. NFTs that he is involved in. Another kickback there. And then in your piece, he's telling you guys that you should somehow, Fast Company, should use the service BitPay to take to accept uh, ApeCoin, which is uh, available to pay with on BitPay. And he's invested in BitPay. And ApeCoin is the... Uh, crypto token adjacent, uh, you know, uh, we'll get into that in a second, uh, cryptocurrency mm-hmm. that's run yet technically not run by Yuga Labs. And he's involved in that. And then when you look at the foundation, the Ape Foundation that runs, that like basically, we'll get more into ApeCoin in a second, but the uh, foundation that helps run the ApeCoin there are people mm-hmm. sitting on that board who are partners at Sound Ventures. Guy O'Seary's freaking <laughs> PC firm. I mean, I'm, I'm running out of breath. I'm running out of breath. I can't. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, you know, when you mention ApeCoin, I think, you know, the the distribution of ApeCoin is probably one of the biggest questions that like crypto skeptics have had about, about Yuga Labs. Um, because yeah, like you mentioned, the, the token structure, it, 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 well, I guess we will have to get into like how, how DAO works and how the ApeCoin structure works, which maybe we should save that for later. Um, should we save that for later? You know what, let's Actually, let's get well, let, let's, let, yeah, let's get into ApeCoin now. So what what is ApeCoin? Well, let's let's go there. Let's let's get this so people really understand. Uh, you know the the sticky fingers that Guy Osieri has here. Um, <laughs> what what is ApeCoin? Well, so ApeCoin is sort of the um, token that was started to be like the main currency in other side, which is Yuga Labs metaverse that is coming out sometime in, in the future. Um, so everything that you buy and sell in the metaverse is, is going to be done in Ape, in ApeCoin. Um, I guess it's not technically run by Yuga Labs. It was piloted by this organization called ApeCoin DAO, which in theory means that the currency is governed by the community members because, you know, the way DAOs, DAOs work, um, like people who own the tokens, the token, I guess, holders, stakeholders, use the tokens to vote on proposals within the DAO. Um, So, you know, more tokens, more voting power. Um, So this sort of raised a lot of eyebrows with, you know, with ApeCoin, because when it launched in March, like there was this massive airdrop of like 1 billion tokens. And, you know, that same month, there was a report in Bloomberg that said that 14% 14% of those tokens went to ApeCoin's launch partners, which are basically investors like A16Z and Animoca Brands. And then, you know, 15% went to Yuga Labs itself and 8% went to the founders. So that's a total of 37% 
And then meanwhile, like 15% in total went to board ape and mutant ape holders. So I think like that sort of like what, when we talked to a lot of people who were sort of affected by this like token structure um, and we spoke to, you know, A16Z, um, we spoke to, to Chris Dixon and he, none of them really had a great answer for like how you reconcile this sort of token structure with the crypto libertarian philosophy right like when we spoke to chris he was like i mean he he actually weirdly was like oh a16z doesn't have any ape coin which i don't know didn't like left a lot of other questions but you know not a great answer from him um and then i spoke to yatsu who is the ceo of animoca brands and also a board member of um, on the ApeCoin DAO. Um, and he his sort of like justification was like, oh, well, Animoca hasn't used its tokens to vote like at all. You know, like we have the tokens, but we just haven't used them. And even proposals that we have put forth have been defeated. And so that was like sort of like how he explained away the problematic structure, which I don't think is an answer that's gonna satisfy a lot of people. Um, and then, yeah, when we asked Guy Osiri about the structure, he was like really irritated. You know, he was just like not having it. He was like, I'm not going to answer that question. And like, you know, I just, you know, I could walk you through it, but I don't have time. I, he, he just like, <laughs> we just didn't get a great answer from anybody about like how you reconcile this structure. Um, so that I think that was something that really stood out to us when we were yeah again again a lot of times they're non-answers to this stuff like the gaps in your piece told me so much like first of all chris dixon amazingly thin-skinned uh anyone criticizes any one of his nft projects i'm blocked by him on on twitter for i think daring to ask a question about the the setup of, of something i don't remember what it was even but you know i think any critic in this space has been blocked every critic in the space has been blocked by uh chris dixon whenever our, cause we have a online transcription service and whenever they transcribe the name Chris Dixon, they transcribed it as Christ Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> like, when we spoke to Nicole too, she was like, you know, as I was guiding like Gordon and Garga through this whole process early on, you know, people were starting to come to them when they were starting to have success, like, you know, VCs were starting to come. And Nicole was like, I told them, it doesn't matter who it is if it's not A6 and Z like hold out for mm -hmm. a 60 like they're the end all be all like nobody else matters and so it was Who funny told you like, this? Nicole. Nicole Nicole okay well, yeah right. that was okay. what he was telling Gordon and Garga at the time um and so we just thought it was funny because then he became Christ Dixon <laughs> in our transcripts yes. like, so like that just yeah, they really they are the big they are the big Web three NFT crypto VC firm and they are behind a lot of projects that have hurt a lot of regular people big time while they've just enriched themselves further. I mean, um, Mark Andreessen has been buying a multi-million dollar home after multi-million dollar home. Um, I mean, Guy Ossieri not wanting to even talk about this, getting irritated about it as he's um, you know, sticking his head in every which way to find new ways to, to scrounge money out of the average person by selling them this this stuff about guy which which i 
I think a lot, something that I really liked about interviewing him is that he doesn't lie to you. You know what I mean? Like he's like, you'll be like, why is your hand in all these things? And he's like, cause it is like, like you know what I mean? He doesn't try right. and like justify anything. That's he's the only like, way I know how to do business. That's how I work. That's how right. I work. Right. Um, so he's proud of being unethical and you know, doing this stuff. <laughs> wonderful. Right. Wonderful. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he, the, the part that really bothered me on a personal level in this piece, and I mean, uh, Board Ape Yacht Club really tried to promote themselves as like being, and you've mentioned it too, like, you know, this, this punk rock brand or whatever. And mm -hmm. how, um, was it Gordon Goner, uh, you yeah. know, um, sparked relationship with Guy Ossieri over their love of bad brains. Yeah. And I know Guy Ossieri was involved in like signing them to his label that's now defunct back in like the 90s or whatever. And it was a bad time for Bad Brains, so it didn't work out or whatever. But <laughs> nothing about this is punk. Like nothing about this is like real. And like, you know, there are there are punk bands who got successful without selling out. And this is like, this whole thing is like, to me, it's like, the ultimate selling out, like the way yeah. they went from, we're gonna, first of all, I think the whole idea of uh, crypto NFTs included just is the very worst of capitalism, which right away um, writes out any ability for it to be punk. But uh, <laughs> then you got their, obviously the, the, the punk aesthetic that they enjoy. Um, that you could see in some of the board API clothes and, and like the art in general, but then in some of their outfits and stuff. And the idea behind it of it being like people can, you know, they own their ape. I could see how that can be in their twisted logic, a little punk or whatever, but then their future projects don't have that where you don't own the IP if you have the NFT and then they go ahead and, um, literally decide and hold out for you know from what you you found out hold out for what in my estimation is um the worst of the worst of the vcs uh in terms of like simply ethics and their politics and their ideology and how they view the world um and then they take all this money and they decide to and we'll 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 talk a little bit more about apecoin in a second you, you know you already ran through some of the basics there but there's much more to talk about there um you know and they go into apecoin which like you laid out is very sketchy it's not democratizing at all they they gave uh, huge swaths of this token that was supposed to be spread apart equally to everyone who owns a board ape yacht club and then further down spread apart between the people who own uh the mute the, the mutant apes and then further down spread you know continuing down the line so everybody's getting some but they save this huge portion for themselves their investors um the people who are already very rich off of all this and it's just like Man, like, if there's anything that is not punk, it's it's this. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna be the gatekeeper of punk rock, but uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Joe Strummer is not gonna come, you know, come back to, uh, you know, come out of the grave with Joey Ramone and be like, we're gonna get ourselves some board ape yacht club NFTs. I mean, this is just not what that's that was about. 
And I just went on a rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's very personal to me as someone who came up in that, you know, in that world. Um, yeah. So just, you know, it really, I just, you know, it, from that standpoint, but let's get back to, to ApeCoin. Um, this is what has gotten them in trouble with the SEC, correct? Like this is why the SEC is now actually finally looking into their activities, specifically because of the way they set up the ApeCoin where, they're claiming that Yuga Labs does not run the ApeCoin. It's run by the DAO, which votes on, you know, the different rules or whatever or, or things to do as, you know, a, a collective. Uh, but it just so happens that, A, you vote in a DAO based on how many tokens you have. And they've distributed the majority of the tokens to themselves and their investors. And then, B, the foundation that then carries out what the DAO votes for is filled with people like someone from Gaio Sieri Sound Ventures. And then you had mentioned, um, what is it? Animica, uh, Animoca. Animoca, right. Animoca Brands. Um, the person you spoke with there also, I looked into it. They're also on the Ape Foundation board. I mean, the thing, I think I've said this word already, but it's just so incestual it's like ridiculous it's like it's it, nothing nothing is further from like the idea of uh crypto is going to reinvent the banking system to make it more equal and equitable for everybody this is um worse than the old finance system if you ask me because there's not even any regulatory body well finally the sec but before that and who knows what little they'll do i mean we already saw the slap on the wrist they gave kim kardashian um there's no regulatory body to to do anything about this it is funny when we were reporting it i always i started to think of myself as like um you know in movies when like somebody has all the strings on the wall and they're like finding the connections <laughs> and that's kind of what like this felt like like we were like cracking down a serial killer or something um yeah. Just because like you start and, and it's easy to get conspiracy brain from all this. And and by that I mean I'm I'm not saying that the connections and conspiracies don't exist, but like you have to sit there and say, like, what do I believe in? And like say for me, like the rider rib stuff, I was like, I don't really think so. This other stuff, maybe. Um and and I think but I think that's why it's the subject of so much speculation and controversy. Because there is this element of like, where did this come from 18 months ago? It didn't exist. And 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 like, there's all these people who have connections everywhere. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. And I think that idea of sort of connecting the dots is how we even got to Gaio Siri. Because we had started talking to a lot of people. And, you know, like I spoke to like Herman Narula, who, you know, is his, his company Improbable is sort of the engineering firm behind the other side, which we haven't talked about yet. But when I spoke to him, he you know, he said he was connected through Gaio Siri. And then, you know, then I spoke to Yatsu and he also was connected to, you know, Yuga Labs through Gaio Siri. And it sort of became this theme that like whoever we spoke to, they got in touch with Yuga Labs through Gaio Siri. And you're like, oh, there's something here, you know, like mm -hmm. he, he's right. the connection. Yeah. Right. Like I, I, I get it's a small world, but this is not like, you know, you'll 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 find partnerships in other industries, but nothing like this. Like yeah. like there there's nothing you'll find where the same guy is behind, 
you know the 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 pre-production the then the you know the factory that creates the 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 product and then the the company that designs the marketing and then the company that designs the boxes and then the the distribution company like you 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 won't find again there's partnerships you're not going to find the same characters behind each and this is that like this is exactly what you said the the like again for any other thing, I would be like, well, we're getting conspiratorial here. But like you said, it's all right in front of you. Like they're even yeah. like openly flaunting it as like, I feel like it's almost like what you going to do about it? Like, you know, <laughs> there's there's no one to stop them because they're in they're they're in uncharted waters. I mean, they, there's nothing that came uh, before that sort of set the the standards for, you know, a regulatory body to do something until until now. Um Let's get into let's get in, there's there's only a few more things to talk about. Um and we talked about so much and still again so much more. Um but let let's talk about just a few more. Uh other side you mentioned. And in, in your piece it seemed like um Connie it seemed like you 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 went into the other side metaverse and this was something that you sort of uh, thought was was well done? Yeah, so I um I went on I guess what was called the first trip which is like the first um, demo of their metaverse other side in mid-July and um, so other side hasn't come out yet it's being promised it's being hyped but it doesn't exist yet um, but you know I think the first trip was by all means I think a big success for for you guys you know I would call it a win for them like people were raving about it on Twitter um, I had fun. I'm not a gamer <laughs> whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mentioned I spoke to the CEO of the company that engineered the whole thing. So, you know, of course, he's going to talk up his his own product. But he he said that, you know, other side had like 50 times the operational capacity of Fortnite or something, just in terms of like people that it could house um, in, in one place. Um, and so I think it was technically impressive. And you know, they had like put a lot of effort into designing a fun experience. You know, there's like a quest. There was a, a in like a an MC who was like very irreverent, which is like very like it true to you know BAYC form. Um, he was like swearing, and he <laughs> was all nerds <laughs> and you know stuff stuff like that. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it was it was it was a fun experience. I think it was probably definitely like one of you guys high points in the last year in the last half year yeah and and uh, I, I think to take a step back Connie do you want to talk a little bit about how um other side came to be or like the genesis of these gaming operations or these gaming ideas yeah I mean I think it just kind of came from you know Gordon and Garga being gamers growing up and now I feel like they're like, well, now we have this company, and when what do we like do with it? Let's let's make it a game. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's like more yeahs that you wanted to add. No, that's basically it. You know, I think I think it's interesting that you know there's a there's this, this company. It's valued at four billion dollars. The question is, what are they going to do next? And like, you know, when we talk to Guy Siri, like, doesn't seem like a man who's interested in gaming. You know. Oh, but I think like the two 
the two co-founders are like, well, I guess we we should just do what we've always wanted to do. You know, like do the thing. Yeah. That does, does it feel like like to to me? It sort of feels like um, they they the the promise of a utility for this stuff. That's all we always hear too in this space. Like, yeah. um, oh, a, a project with utility, and you look up what the utility is, and it's. Uh, like drawing what? a drawing a yeah, <laughs> yeah drawing a dick on a, a digital bathroom stall wall like you said earlier like that was their original idea for like why people would want to buy a board apes they get access to this digital bathroom stall to graffiti on um, mm-hmm. that's 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 not utility um, but that's the sort of, sort of thing they come up with I mean I guess uh, utility is the access to the real world uh, events but what mm-hmm. that's that comes around once maybe twice a year. Um, what do you do with your bored ape around the clock like for the rest of the year? And so I feel like the, the most obvious thing for a lot of these NFT projects is to make a video game um, because, again, that's sort of the world they grew up in and came out of. Um, but gamers hate it. Yeah. Gamers hate I it, think, yeah. I think the, the, like, you know, when you mention utility, I think that's just a, a really interesting, you know, point to touch upon. Um, yeah, I think like when you look at like Yuga's sort of business model as a whole, right? So much of it rests on utility and the idea that like people are actually going to take these things, you know, like take these board ape characters and like build, you know, burger restaurants and like comic books and, you know, write novels around them and, you know, that they're going to go into other side and play this game because it's a fun game you know so it like a lot of it just really revolves around the idea of utility and not just like using the things but like going in and like building as well um but you know like when you look at like the nft holders who own these word apes like it's more of an open question of like how do they view it like yeah i think there's like a a, a, like a there's because there's a schism i think in in crypto as a whole where like you have like the true believers that like see crypto you know ideologically as like a very it's a very like utopian thing right if you talk about what it could do in a perfect world you know bank the unbanked like take power from corrupt governments and put it in the hands of the people um so it's just philosophically very idealistic um but then you know come back to reality and look at like who's building in the space and right now it looks like a lot of people who are who you would call, you know, part of the economic elite, you know, or it's like people who have means and they're treating these things as like investments that they're going to like rise in value and then just be sold off later. Um, So, yeah, you know, it's like, what does that mean? Like, are are people like, yes, like MAYC sold out in like a day, like other deeds, the land NFTs for other side, sold out in like minutes but like are people scrambling for these assets because they're so excited to go into other side and build in this world and like create like you know novels around their board apes or are they doing it just because they think it's going to make them a lot of money they're going to you know get their cash mm-hmm. and get out you know so and that's going to be really important i think for the future of yuga labs right like who who's buying their nfts are they like true believers or are they speculators and it's i don't know it's it's hard to say yeah. right now yeah we'll see how did you get into because you you need these nft one of these nfts to actually even get into the metaverse of other side um you know what what was your way of of accessing it yeah so i um 
I do not own any yoga properties. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I knew somebody who did have an other deed. So you need, yeah, you needed an other deed, which is the land NFT to, to get into the first trip. Um, so I knew someone who had it and then he didn't want to play the game, which, you know, I don't know if that's like telling in a way, but he just wasn't interested. And so he's like, you can have it. And I was happy to take it. You know, I was like, oh yeah, like works, works well for me. Um, I mean, that, but that yeah. sort of answers that question. You already have one yeah. person who bought it, spent, uh, I'm assuming a, a decent chunk of change on it and had no interest at all in partaking in the utility of it. I mean, yeah, if at I this mean, point, Bonnie was like, I'm Gaio Siri's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think that like, you know, 4,000 people went on the first trip and they all had to own the NFT. So I think in, in some way, they were all already part of the BAYC community and they had already sort of bought in, right? But I feel like the, you know, the business model for other side rests on the idea that it's going to be, well, the, the pitch you hear is that it's going to be an interoperable metaverse, which means that it's not just for the BAYC community. Like you can bring in avatars from like any other NFT collection, like Moonbirds or doodles or like world of women or whatever, like you can bring that into the, into the world and, <clears throat> sort of then that's how they're going to appeal to this broader crowd. Um, but yeah, I think it's like, and I was talking to a, a like a, a blockchain gaming consultant and his name is Lars Doucette. Um, But I think he, he like put it to me this way. He was like, well, how is that model going to work? Because like, the idea and the big pitch of like web three is that it's all open source and you can come in and build. And so like, you know, like presumably people would come to the other side and build their own modules in the world, like their own castles or like quests or, you know, design design experiences that are going to enrich it for the rest of the community. Um, but like what is kind of interesting about other side is that you can buy a land NFT and then not build anything and it could still go up in value. Right. Like, cause you could just wait for your neighbors to come in and build next to you. And then the, the value of your NFT will go up and then you can just sell it off or do whatever you want with it. So in that sense, you know, it kind of begs the question, like, who are you bringing in? Like, are you going to appeal to like the people with the most creative energy and like the most desire to build, or are you just going to like bring in a lot of people who want to profit off of those people with creative energy, you know? So it's kind of like an interesting question. And, and yeah, is it, is it just going to be more speculators? Yeah. I, I got to say, Connie, it sounded like you were describing uh, not a, a, you know, gaming video gaming, but it sounded like you were describing uh, like real estate investments. <laughs> like there there's, there's, that's not gaming again. Like we've seen the NFT space, um, sort of focus, not just even Board API Club, focus on gaming being the future. I mean, they even say in your to you in the piece that uh, the future of NFTs is in gaming and gamers will end up liking it eventually. Like They're so sure of it. Um, yet there's been no movement on this front. Every NFT game has been a bust. The one game that was gaining a little traction, Axie Infinity, will also 
failed in a spectacular fashion after they were hacked due to uh, their own problems with uh, their their own issues. Like they were responsible for what they left out in the open when they were hacked. And um, what happened? The people who were playing the game got screwed over because to play these games, you actually have to invest a chunk of change into it um, yeah. to own an NFT, to be able to enter these worlds. So, I mean... Could Board Ape Yacht Club be the first to find out how to do it correct in that space? Who knows, I guess, but it, the history does not look kindly upon <laughs> what they're trying to do here. And it doesn't seem like they sort of are on the right track either in terms of the, the whole gaming part of this doesn't seem to be really focused on in the equation if it's there at all. And I think it's also just hard to design a really fun game. Like that's that's a challenge that I that I hear like a lot of gamers talk about. You know, they do have a couple hundred million dollars to go ahead and hire actual game developers. <laughs> but yeah, no, it absolutely is true that like that's the big challenge. You need to, um, you can't just create a game and think it's going to be easy. A lot of these gaming companies are are legacy companies that have been around for a long time because they 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 know how to do it. It's very it's very hard story-wise and then development-wise. Like I, I, I couldn't even begin to imagine what goes into a, a video game. I do know that it takes years for some of these games to actually finally come out. Mm -hmm. Totally. So, so let's let's move on to just a few more things now. Did the scamming stuff ever come up with uh, Yuga Labs? Like, did you did they did you bring up? Um, I'm pretty sure you did in the piece, but did they say anything about why? scams are so prevalent like it feels like almost every other day you hear it about it's that it's that meme now where it's like oh uh, someone stole my ape uh, almost <laughs> yeah. every other day someone is using losing something they spent six figures on uh do, do they worry about this i would say they definitely worry about it um you know we brought it up a bunch and they sort of expressed concern over the issue i think the, the problem is it feels like they don't totally know what to do about it right like um you know i guess if you were thinking of and this is not a great comparison but if you thought of nfts as like if it was like buying a physical painting if you bought a physical painting from a gallery and then it got stolen from your home is the gallery responsible like may you know it's, it's actually kind of hard to make that case that doesn't you know i'm not sitting here saying you shouldn't do anything about it but but like that is one way of looking at it. And it, it also shows kind of the difficult situation they find themselves in um, with with these things. Um, and, and the other issue is, I think, well, there's a couple. The first is like, it's a pretty nascent industry that is like very under-regulated, right? So that's just hard. There's fewer guardrails. Like the crypto police doesn't totally exist. Um, I profiled a company a while ago called Chainalysis that um, basically like analyzes blockchain interactions to figure out, you know, the deal with thefts. They work, you know, they work with governments like they're, they're, they're really trying to make sure that people are protecting their assets. And when I was writing that piece, I actually encountered a lot of opposition to the company from crypto enthusiasts who were basically saying like, no, like we don't want any kind of regulation. And to me, I was like, wow, there's this real ideological tension that means that like, like, yeah. it's like no one wants to get scammed, but also no one wants any kind of like policing. So like, where does that leave you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yes. 
they want <laughs> they want they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to yeah. uh, be able to get away with the positives of doing business in the wild wild west, um, but they don't want to deal with any of the negatives of uh, getting in with the mafia. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know it's. It's weird because to me, like, all right, I, I get, you know, you can't, Yuga Labs can't be responsible for every sort of uh, individual who buys a board ape and is uh, lackadaisical, I guess, with like maybe their crypto wallet password security or whatever. But there's also things where you legit like, um, you know, like people make their profile pictures, their board apes because they want to flex, but then like, a hacker will know exactly who to target. You know what because I mean? In a that, way that yeah. if you bought something really expensive and it was in your home, you wouldn't necessarily, like not everybody would know that about you. You right. know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I do think they bear some responsibility. Uh, for the, There were a few times where people lost their apes because of hacks and scams within Yuga Labs' own Discord community, which to me is sort of on them. Um so I think at least they should get more serious about that. I don't know. Maybe they have uh, worked with those parties who, who lost their uh, you know NFTs then. Um, but you know I, I think their their hands off approach on this is is weird. It's, you know, like even even big platforms they uh, totally. proactively work on taking down like phishing websites and stuff uh, because they mm-hmm. don't want to see their consumer base get screwed over and so to you know it's weird that they seem to seem to not want to um take any responsibility there well it does i don't i don't know that they don't want to take any responsibility but it it does feel like something that they're struggling with at the moment like it's it's not something that they're just like we don't care like this is not our thing um i just don't think they know the solution to the problem and there's a few instances like you know they're currently suing artist writer rips over um you know, the fact that once he made all these accusations against the company of having, um, you know, kind of controversial images or, you know, like espousing some kind of Nazi ideology, he released his own collection of NFTs that are like very similar to Bored Apes. Um, and I think some people got duped and bought them thinking they were buying a Bored Ape. You know what I mean? Like, I think that <laughs> affected consumers. The company has been trying to take action on that. Right. Um, so it was like, let's, let's get into the writer rips thing. Let's, let's talk yeah. about him. Um, cause I, I saw this, 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 you know, this piece he put together, we had mentioned it early on, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, it's sort of what has forced them to come out, or at least it was the starting of them wanting to come out and try to own their own narrative and reach out to, you know, fast company and, and speak with you two, for example. Um, and that was, you know, this artist, writer Rips, was uh, leveling these accusations that Bored API Club uh, had tons of racist imagery. And if you look at it, I, I, I didn't cover it when it came out. I've only spoken about it in terms of, like, it being part of the Bored Ape story. Because there are some points throughout that you look at the case that writer rips is making and you say i i see this i mean clearly this is this ape's outfit is at the very least in bad taste and in certain cases are certainly using racist imagery 
Um, so it does make you wonder. But there there were some jumps there that I thought was was taking the accusations too far. Like there is a difference between someone um, sort of like getting something getting something wrong, making a joke in poor taste that is bad. Like it's bad. Like no right. one's saying it's not. And somebody being like, you know what? I want to like promote a you know racist ideology or whatever right. and infiltrate masses with that right there's there's the aspect of like is there a master plan or did they just fuck up what like, you right. know right right yes so i i think there were a number of jumps there and I, I don't think you know the the case was made well and to me the biggest turnoff what i think completely ruined his credibility uh in this argument again i don't know writer rips and uh, you know his overall um, you know, credibility, but what hurt his credibility in making this argument was the fact that he used it as a promotional vehicle for his own <laughs> NFT project. I mean, if you, if you, if he really cared about making this argument and, uh, spreading awareness about the possible, uh, white supremacist or neo-Nazi connections of the Board Ape Yacht Club and, and Yuga Labs, uh, it probably was not in his best interest to uh, try to monetize it for personal gain. Um, so, you know, I, I do think it opened up a conversation and I've seen that there mm -hmm. are people who are looking further into this and I don't think um, anything is really uh, too concrete yet to, to talk about on this show, but I have seen people like Frederick Brennan, who is the founder of 8chan, who has done a complete 180 in recent years, um, basically making it his life's mission to take down HN, uh, you know, this super racist white supremacist uh, image board where QAnon conspiracy theories uh, live uh, and fester and, and, you know, spread. And, you know, he's looking into things and I think he's on uh, something. And, uh, Again, nothing too concrete to bring up yet, but it did it did open up a conversation. But at the same time, I don't think there's anything that's in writer Rips's work that seals the deal for me. And you know, this is if you're a board if you're if you're in Yuga if you're Yuga Labs and you're listening to this right now, it might surprise you that I have this take. But you know, I'm I'm fair, and I I don't think there's anything here yet. And that's why it's important that you know. These guys were doxxed, doxxed. I don't even consider this to be doxing because um, if there is anything out there, then people should know about it. And if there's nothing, that's that's great. Go on, do your thing. And if there is, you know, pe people will eventually find it. Yeah, I will say, you know, we, we, we sort of came to the same conclusion. We really went into reporting this without having any, like, preconceived. Like, you know, when I started writing this article... Connie has, Connie has been in the world for longer than I have, but I was really like, you know what? This is a story of a company that achieved like a $4 billion valuation in 18 months. I, that's all I know. That's what I'm going in with. I will investigate every claim made against them. And like, I can say like with good faith, I didn't see anything that totally sealed the deal. That's not to say they're, you know, absolutely, you know what I mean? Some researcher may come out with something that convinces me otherwise, but like, we we really did look into this, right? Like I have a I have another show. Like my background is in you know covering the the right 
And this would have been a topic on there focusing on the, you know, the, the connections to right wing uh, figures and, and, and people that these people would have had or, or might have. But it hasn't got there for me. I, I, I again, I, if it comes out, I and I am looking into things myself. It should be covered, and that's when we can, uh, you know, substantially say that these things exist. But until then, it's just a part of the board ape yacht club story, and it's not anything further than that yet, yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, also, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, not to derail us, but um, I just randomly thought of the fact that I actually met someone at Ape Fest who had their ape stolen in a hack. Really? What what did they say? Did how did they get it back? How'd they get into Ape Fest? Casual. Yeah, he had like shown up to the party and he was just glad that he got in because he was like, oh <laughs> he was like, I thought there might be an issue because I don't have my ape anymore. But he was like, yeah, they let me in. He was like, I just talked to those guys over there. They said they're gonna help me get my ape back. I don't know. He was just partying. I don't I know. feel like I'd be so salty if somebody stole my ape. I'd be like, <laughs> I'm not coming to this party. But that's just I me. Maybe know. that's just like me being a jerk. I mean, um, again, that's that's like the point though. The the flipping of the, the, the value is in that NFT. Who cares about the party? But I guess this guy did. He really appreciated the access to an exclusive party. I did kind of get the sense because it was it was interesting when I was there, it was like it was like right after the second crypto crash, you know, like there was the Terra Luna collapse first, and then there was like the Celsius whole like implosion. And so, and that happened in early June. And then Apefest was like in late June. And so like, there was this like overcast sort of like, it was a very gloomy climate for crypto when I, when I showed up to this Apefest party. Um, but I kind of got the sense that like, a lot of people there, didn't seem like they were in a financial position where they were too worried about like, you know, they, they didn't seem like the people who like lost their like retirement and college funds, like on like Terra Luna. And, you know, like they, they seemed like people who could probably take the hit and keep going, you know, it's like a bummer, like, like that investment didn't work out, but like, it, anyway, like a kind of a, kind of a side note, but Something that I love that you were telling me about was the kind of relentless hustle culture at Apefest. And sorry, after this, I actually have to go. Um, okay, no, yeah, but, that's fine. I've held you guys for, this has been a, a long episode. I really appreciate you taking the time. But, uh, but Connie, I loved how you were talking about the sort of, the fact that like, A, not only were people like not that financially worried, but also people had their own businesses they were promoting while they were there. You know what I mean? It's just this like, like really like interesting group of people yeah i mean it was it was like you know apes was a it was a party right it was like meant to be a celebration of like the ayc success and it was a rap concert right like when i was there lil wayne was like opening for eminem and snoop dogg and you know i think that like it was very much a celebration but there's also just this hustle where it was like i mean it Apefest took place at the same time as NFT NYC, which is sort of like the big Web3 conference in the city. And so a lot of people were also there for that and seemed like really focused on, you know, promoting their own like Web3 startups and like projects or whatever. So you'd like be moving through the crowd, like, you know, 
at the festival and then people would be stopping you to like hand out stickers of you know their own like you know blockchain video game or like join this DAO that you know we're buying <laughs> we're, we're buying historical artifacts it's like you know which there are literally like three DAOs now that are doing that um but they'd be just like giving you their pitch it was like they were like trying to build the next BAYC you know right and I think yeah. it's just like yeah I think it was just so emblematic of like the ethos of crypto where it is right now it's just like hustle 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 like build make money strike it big you know and like take that however you will but like I feel like that's like that's the community that you know kind of makes BAYC run so I feel like they are going to be responsible for its future in some way so yeah it'll be it's into yeah they they look you know it's uh, monetize 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 from what it sounds like use even the the board api club parties to to push your thing uh your your uh you know your project um this you know again this was a fantastic piece and everyone should go check it out in fast company and you know the the one thing that we didn't get to that i wanted to quickly mention um is the the person who made a cameo in this that i was not expecting is is beeple um, and it, it doesn't, you know, obviously the, he sort of kicked off this whole big NFT, uh, uh, run when his $69 million NFT sold at auction. Um, but how that went down was also sketchy. I mean, Amy Castor has been really a great reporter on this whole you know, board apes and NFTs and the people thing from the very beginning. And it, it turns out that Beeple had contacted the board API club um, in your report. You, you mentioned this in like July and connected them to Guy Osieri and Beeple himself has a, a sort of shady past with how that $69 million deal went down because the person who bought it actually bought it to kick off one of their um, other companies, Metapurse which basically put to all these NFTs into a collection and let people buy fractional shares of these NFTs. And before he actually bought that Beeple NFT, he had given a number of these tokens that were the fractional shares to Beeple himself, which begs the question, how in cahoots were they before this auction ended? Which again, and then he gets involved with reaching out to Board Apes, connecting them to Guy Osieri. It really again ties together the whole shadiness aspect and the the way that all these people have their tentacles all over this. And I just wanted to mention that one last thing before I let you guys go, because it, it really that was the cameo. That was the, like the if the Guy Osieri stuff is the most revealing, seeing people come in as the one who put that together was like the the cherry on top. Um, everyone, the link to the Fast Company piece is in the description on the YouTube video, in the podcast, uh, on all the podcast platforms, on the website, scameconomy.com. Um, Yasmin Gagne, who, by the way, you're, uh, I found out that you're, you're related to the legendary pro wrestler. And that was amazing to me. Conlon. mess with me. Right. Don't mess with me. Right. I, I won't. You, you might mint me on the blockchain. Uh, <laughs> Connie Lynn, both of you are fast company. 
where can people find you online? And feel free to use this uh, opportunity to promote what's coming up or whatever you'd like. The floor is yours. You can find me at Yasmin Gagne uh, on Twitter. Um, and you can find me at Yazzie G on Instagram. Um, and in terms of what I have to promote, um, I'm currently overseeing the um, biggest package in our December issue, which will be on newsstands in like a month. This is this story is in our November issue. It's our most productive people issue. Really different vibe, super fun. We talk to a lot of very cool people um, about their daily lives. So it's like a nice excuse to just be nosy and, and learn weird ass, weird things about famous people. Um, so definitely pick it up. And um, my handle on Twitter is Connie J-L, J-A-Y-E-L-L-E. It's just my initials spelled out. Um, also on Instagram, same handle. And I don't have anything to plug, but you know, I write for Fast Company most days and um, check out the website. There we go. Thank you both so much for your time. Again, this is the longest episode of Scam Economy thus far. There's so much more in this piece that everyone should go read. Have a great night, Connie and Yaz. This was fantastic. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you for having us, Matt. I hope you all enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed doing it. I mean, I got to thank, again, uh, Yaz and Connie for taking the time. I'll take you a little bit behind the scenes of Scam Economy as well. This was the second time we recorded this episode. There was a technical issue with the first time we did this and all of the sound didn't record. So I, again, can't thank them enough for not only taking the time to speak with me, but for doing it all again a second time. Now you've already been listening to my voice long enough. You heard all the links I set up top. Usually you hear me go a little bit more into it here, but I'm just gonna do quick mentions. Patreon.com slash Matt Binder, YouTube.com slash Matt Binder. forget to connect your Amazon Prime account to your Twitch account and you get a free Twitch Prime subscription every month so that way you can subscribe to twitch.tv slash mattbinder every single month that you'd like to at no cost to you just forcing Amazon to give me a little bit of the Amazon Prime subscription you're already paying them. Go to scameconomy.com for all the links to the podcast version of the show. Leave reviews at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. And I will see you all next time in the Scam Economy. Scam Economy.